Morning. Morning. Afternoon. Morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Huh? Interesting concept. It's a nice outfit you have. The chatter also. Very nice. I like the chatter too together. No, no, no. I like it on you. So. Well, it's nice of you to come, uh, and nice to be hosted here again. It's the second time I've come here, and once before, a couple of years back, I guess, it was on Govardhan Puja, right? It was a nice evening. Yeah, and uh, we've been we've been meeting for the last couple of days, so I thought I'd just ask for questions this morning. You seem to like the, the questions, sessions, and they... Uh, kind of free-ranging, so, yes. I've been thinking of something you said um, since last time I saw you at Archana's, or I guess it's not the last time I saw you, but anyway, you made a comment that really stuck with me and I like very much. Um, you said there's nothing that can be present in the effect that isn't in the cause, and that's, for the kind of people I run into, it's, it's usually not that they have a big doubt if there is God, not that I run into that many people, but it's usually whether God is impersonal or not, and that really stuck with me as a nice kind of a catchy phrase that would, you know, make them think. So I told it to my daughters, and they immediately loved it. But then I was going um, to send an email to some cousins of mine who are not devotees, and uh, a kind of a condolence thing for another cousin who had died. And I was just going to put that in for, you know, just something... And as soon as I thought to do that, then it came to my mind, oh, now I'm talking to non-devotees, and, you know, okay, so what about brutality? What about perversion? You know, these things are in the effect. And I know Krishna likes to fight, and I know there's different things, but, but you know, brutality, cruelty, perversion, I don't, I don't get how those are in the cause. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just wondering if you could clear that up for me. Yeah. Well, I want to know on the side, I don't know if you necessarily um, want to apply that in a, in a, um, in a very in a detailed way. Of course, then, you know, you could do away with the personhood in the name of that as well. Hmm. But uh, the way you're talking about it is very specific and very detailed, and um, I don't think that's necessarily... Uh, uh, necessary, but then again, that said, the very, very idea theologically of Krishna in Vrindavan, the, the word "brudge," which uh, it implies movement in one sense as a as a, a, a verb, but um, as it's used in the Gita. But of course, it's uh, you know come to me. It uh, also is a name of a place, and the place is a place of movement, in a sense, as it's depicted, at least um, envisioned, experienced, a pastoral uh, setting where there's a following, if you will, of the cows, in as much as they're cowherds, people, and the cows need to move to graze. And so it's, uh, it, it implies a place of, of movement, um, and and uh, freedom, hmm? um, 
non non static and so forth and in along those lines it would appear in thinking about that um, in his uh, final and um, greatest arguably uh, work uh, uh, Jiva Goswami and his Gopal Champu has um, given the idea that that Braj is a place it represents all things possible hmm? and um, in the way you know in one sense that it's played out in in the in the Leela depictions of the Leelas well Krishna's doing the very you know antithesis in a sense of of, of the times that such texts were composed a very antithesis of what would be thought to be uh, spiritual life would speak of the high end of spiritual life as a paramour uh, you know uh, involved in paramour love and so forth but it's a way at the same time as saying all things possible all things are only inappropriate wrong or don't have a place if they're not properly centered and properly centered they all do have their application now if you want to take as i said without in less detail in principle things like um, and this is what they've tried to do rupa goswami's tried to do in writing about the leela by, by using the indian aesthetic um, language and um, uh, kind of rules if you will of poetry and drama to to talk about uh, this is what he did, as I said last night, by reframing the argument of Shankar that that Ramanuja stepped into the frame of, and Madhva stepped into the frame of, and they were fighting within the way he's framed the argument. Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, they framed it their own way. They reframed the argument. Now we'll think about it like this: and What are the principal Upanishads, and how the Bhagavatam is the center? Instead of having to say everything that you say has to be corroborated by the Gita, the Sutras, and the, and the Upanishads. They had, they had a different... They just reframed the argument, which is a good way to start <laughs> the discussion. Um, but, uh, in, in, as I say, in the, in, the, in the context of that, in doing that, he used the language of the uh, secular Ras Shastra that is describing emotive life in the arts hmm, and how they tend to transport one out of one's seat so to speak, into the screen or onto the stage and, and into the drama. And, and, it's, and it was thought amongst the secularists who were, who were spiritual, it's, it's a little different than today, uh, who were religious and so forth, Bharat and uh, others, um, and Natya Shastra, for example, um, that that transporting out of your present you know, context into an other world, an artistic world and so forth, was other, like an otherworldly almost type of event that somewhat corresponded with the idea in the Vedanta of Brahman. Hmm? It was just their idea. I mean, Rupa Goswami obviously did something very different with it. Hmm? Um, uh, while they saw the arts as something that could transport you beyond your present frame of reference. Hmm. It's 
thought because it transported you into another frame of reference, which is emotional, and Brahman is not emotional. But anyway, there was a theory like that. He he took it differently, obviously, and 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 spoke about his idea of bhakti rasa. But in that and using that language, um, basically, he's trying to talk about all of the emotions and feelings that are you know relative to um, human human condition and and the human pursuit of of love and show how they are all present in the cause if you will um, and so when we could go into details and say well you know there's no there's nobody um, you know what's is there any you know uh, internet pedophilia going on there you know that, that you could correspond with here or something so I don't like you know have to go into the details but there are generally in a broader you know uh, sense that could be categorized under under something hmm? uh, I don't know exactly what if we use that particular example but um, you know you 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 have uh, you know what's the Anyway, the broad, broad term, broader terms. Hmm? Uh, so, brudge that place where all all things all things appropriate. Hmm? Everything becomes appropriate because properly centered. And they tried to, uh, you know, depict in in their literature as as best as possible that that idea. Hmm? But then, so it's basically saying the problem is being off centered. That that's all, and Krishna's a parky lover, which is like what you know. But it's there's no there's no self self consideration in that on either side, the side of Radha or Krishna. Um, it's a very you know for its time, it, it, it's very powerful and um, and um, I want to say a controversial type of statement and way of speaking about. Um, Spiritual life, very bold. Hmm. Um, so anyway, with regard to your question, I think you, you have to look at it a little bit more broadly and say, you know, the human condition uh, and its pursuit of love, ultimately, in all, in, in pleasure, if you will, which is everyone is about in one way or another. Hmm, it's represented in the absolutes, and when that pursuit is centered there. Then you've gone. You've entered it from the effect of that being, in this case, this world into the cause, hmm. and um, then you know there's the idea that it, that the the effect is 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 related to the cause, but it's turned around backwards, something like that. You know the the, the idea of a reflection. Hmm that if you look in the mirror, everything's backwards, everything's upside down, something like that. So to write it. But to write it means only to change the uh, center, to recenter it. To, to, you know, the building's okay, but the foundation is rotten. So it's all you have to do, you have two choices, tear down the building or jack up the building and change the foundation. <laughs> the latter one is difficult, no doubt, but um, but then... The other one, you had to build a foundation and build the whole building on top of it. So, so we don't need to do that. We need to change the foundation. Hmm? That makes Gaudiya Vaishnavism very worldly rather than otherworldly. Hmm? It's not a world-escaping type of 
theology. Hmm? It's not a world escaping theology. Hmm? It, it involves a step back from the world enough to see it for what it is and then interact with it hmm, in a different way than you were previously without understanding it. So that's why we say, for example, renunciation, detachment. Hmm? This is not a very palatable idea for us. Our whole existence is based on some attachment, right? Our sense of self is based on our attachments, our desires, our likes and and, uh, and, and dislikes and dislikes are the other side. There's two sides of the coin: attachment and uh, uh, what do we say? Um, repulsion. repulsion. Yeah, uh, attraction and repulsion. So, you know, our our conventional ego is comprised of our that which we were repulsed by and that which we're attracted by. Hmm? Um, so the idea of detachment is very uncomfortable because our sense of I is is uh, at at uh, at risk there. Hmm? This was Arjuna's problem in the Gita when he asked um, Krishna, "Please, you know, it's a battlefield as the setting, right?" Hmm? And uh, ostensibly, it appears that there's a battle between family members that has to take place, and it's a religious war and so forth. But on another level, of course, it's it's a uh, it's a battle uh, that involves uh, deconstructing the conventional ego that's made up of these this attraction and repulsion and the, and the problems with it because we we're looking for some standing some ground to stand on some firm ground to stand on some security and in the context of that some uh, relationship love and so forth but if our very identity is made up of our sense of mine when in fact nothing belongs to us as time tells us then the identity that arises out of a sense of mine is as false as the sense of mine if we agree that nothing belongs to us ultimately you know we're renters or something like that here in in, in a sense we don't own a home here then uh, the identity that is formed by my attachments what I think is mine I'm American because this is my country and and this, I'm a mother because this is my son, and I'm a, I'm a few different things. You know, I'm a father, or I'm a, I'm a, I'm also a daughter. You know, as well as a mother, and how I look at it. But all that, all those identities are based on some attachment hmm, to things that appear and disappear in due course. So the very identity is shifting, and so we feel insecure as a result of that. And we seek firm ground to stand on, and we think by acquiring more things, we'll get the ground, but but it's like quicksand. <laughs> we just the, the more you move, the more you you, you go down. Hmm? The more implicated you become in a, in a, in a, in a, in a made-up sense of I. The, the 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 word in Sanskrit for the conventional, as I am referring to it, ego or identity is ahankar, and aham means I, and kar means to make. So it's a made-up I. It's an I that's been made up, hmm? and. It's thought in the sacred text that that which exists will always exist, so we should get used to one another. Um, and, and that which doesn't exist will, will never exist. So, so, so the made-up I, we, when we say it doesn't exist, we mean it's not sat, it doesn't endure, 
and it's not self-luminous. Uh, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Hmm? So it's not real. That's how we think of dreams. It's not real because it was just short. Well, our waking sense is uh, a state of things endure and within our reach a little bit more, but they're really just as intangible and transient and uh, here today and gone tomorrow, as we say in common English parlance, as is the case in the dream state, if you will. And as in dreams, you meet a prince and then he turns into a monster. That happens in the waking state, too. <laughs> Perhaps more often than not, even. So it just takes a little longer for that to morph into, <laughs> into something else. And, uh, and ultimately, of course, and the thought is that, that suffering in material life is born out of, from the womb of, of attachment. Um, what does the Gita say? That dukkha yonai evate. That is, suffering. Dukkha yonai. Yona means womb. So, this is the Buddhist, Buddhist kind of a idea, of course, and it uh, has its place in, in in Vedanta or any essential spiritual uh, tradition. If we want, as we do, enduring happiness, we're not going to get it from things that don't endure and attaching ourselves to them. So. So, at the same time, the idea of detaching is rather uncomfortable because the sense of I that we do have, however theoretically we can agree um, with uh, the idea that it's false and here today and gone tomorrow and it's a made-up I, it's kind of all that I, that, that I know. I can theoretically know more, but my experience is lacking in that regard. That's the problem, right? Um, and so the task, if you will, of deconstruction or detachment is a, a little bit um, challenging. That's why in the Gita it is the real battle. That's, as I said, it's on a battlefield. Hmm? This is the metaphor, if you will. Uh, uh, the uh, Arjun has to fight with uh, with uh, family members and so forth. But he, but he asks Arjun. He asked Krishna, can you take the chariot, drive it up? That I may see who's assembled here, what I have to deal with. He was a warrior. Hmm? And so Krishna obediently uh, does the bidding of his devotee, and uh, which is a very profound theological point in the very, the very onset of the text. Hmm? That there's a, a, that the, the, the love of God and God, these two are one and different. You can't have the teacher without the student. You can't have the student without the teacher. You can't have God without love of God. And so there's a oneness between them. There's a correspondence between them. Hmm? And I said last night, sometimes pe people have a hard time believing in God, but it's a little harder not to believe in love of God. Hmm? Because it has its, it, it's, it can, it, it's manifest before us, and in that case, of course, I speak about love of God that arises out of an ego-effacing spiritual discipline, where this false eye that we're talking about has actually been deconstructed, and the basic result of that deconstruction of the false eye is that no one is no longer a taker, hmm? because one doesn't think that I have to acquire 
in order to become full. One feels full in oneself, having detached oneself from the moving, you know, world, so to speak, that's going around, and one finds stability. That I am, our view is not a that not a, a geocentric or a heliocentric, but an atmocentric <laughs> worldview. That the matter is moving around consciousness. The observer is stable, and the world is constantly in, in flux around it. So to become centered on that means to get some stability, security, firm ground to stand on, some clarity, some conviction, some happiness. Hmm? Because it's not a real happy life being a slave to the mind's demands and the demands of the senses, which often pull on us in different directions at the same time. That can be pretty uncomfortable. Hmm? If the if the belly demands to be fed, and we're doing so, of course, via the tongue, and the belly says, "Enough." The tongue may say more. Hmm? This is a you know this is a simple way of explaining the problem. <laughs> so, and we are slaving, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, identified as we are with this particular arrangement of matter that's just arranged for a short period of time that we think of as ourself, both the psychic and the physical dimensions, and uh, and. Uh, we're servants of it, so to speak, and its demands. It has demands in order to cohere, because if the demands are not met, it, it will disintegrate. So we're struggling to meet those demands and maintain this sense of I. It's not maintainable. It's not sustainable. Hmm? Long, long time ago, I wrote an article about sustainability. It's been lost now, but it was when the ideas of sustainability about 30 years ago started to come out and so forth. And I made this kind of point. <laughs> I'd like to have a deeper point, if you will. What is sustainable life and what it must, you know, it must come to this. Hmm? Uh, the sun is burning out. I mean, that's, not, that's unsustainable, <laughs> ultimately. But uh, there, there, there's, a, there's, another, there's another plane, if you will, of, of existence that is, that is self-sustaining. Hmm? And you're, you're, you're of that soil, so to speak. So at any rate, so Krishna's brought takes the chariot, he takes the order of, of his devotee. Hmm? It's like if you said, taxi, something like that. And Krishna, who's the Godhead, is playing the role of the taxi driver of his devotee. So this is a very interesting theological concept. Hmm? Uh, we often more readily, um, perhaps here in the Western world, have learned to think of God in a more distant um way and as a father type of a figure that's providing hmm? and I mean I think that we those of us who have children probably would agree that parents love the kids more than the kids love the parents in practical <laughs> as much as love requires some sacrifice and giving up what you want for what the other wants and so forth. It doesn't look like a fair deal. <laughs> uh, but then you're wise enough, you know, to want to love and to know the, and, and know the value of that, of, of giving, even if the reciprocation is not in kind and you do so and it's rewarding and fulfilling and they grow up and they learn a lesson as well. But the point I'm making, of course, is the, the idea of God as the Father hmm, 
in ourselves as the sun, puts God in a more if you, if you will, loving position than ourselves. We're more on the take, and he's he's kind of in you know, you know, I, maybe you should write your father. You know, maybe he can lend us some money. You know, or so. Otherwise, you know, I haven't written him in a while. The letter comes, and you know, what does she want now? You know, it's it's okay. I love her, so I, you know, I have to do it, or I feel inclined, and so forth. So, so um, uh, there was a. I've told a story before that a, a, a monk, monastic from our tradition, years and years and years ago, and probably in the, in the early late twenties or early nineteen thirties, was sent to uh, to to. Europe, England, which at the time was the leading, you know, power of the world, and India was under the subjugation of the of the British and the British rule, and um, and so this this monastic was sent from our tradition to speak on behalf of the tradition and its ideas, and, and with the idea that it had more currency than uh, you know to bring value and meaning and. Happiness and fulfillment to to the human society than the British rule or uh, the, or the or the direction, if you will, that the that the Western world uh, was was taking the rest of the world. It was taking the world in a direction of things, hmm? things really. This is what we find that that science, which the methodology for which modern science, we all do science, obviously. We all collect data, you know, without thinking about it, and then we make decisions based on the data, and we, we go forward. It's not a big deal. Hmm? It's not, we, we do it, you know, we, 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 t- we, t- we touch fire. We know it burnt us. We think, I got some data. I won't do Fire burns. I won't do that again. I mean, that's basically what science is. Uh, you get facts, and, of course, then you make determinations about uh, the facts, Hmm. It's just like conspiracy theories, you know. They're full of facts, but just how you interpret them that makes you crazy or sane. Um, so it is with, uh, you know, with, with science. They are just facts that are interpreted in different ways, and we we interpret according largely according to our our bias, which is inevitable. Hmm? We try to be less biased and more objective, but as long as we are attached to the body and mind, sense of identity. There's there's no there's no way to you can be entirely free from from bias hmm? because you have a need a perceived need hmm? that identification with the conventional ego imposes a need upon us a necessity hmm? to maintain it to sustain it so as long as you're on the you're compromise you're in a compromised position hmm? you need something hmm? so if you need something that is going to play into your decisions about how you in anything you do. If you have no need, hmm, you're completely self-sufficient. You can be completely objective if you don't need anything from anyone else. I mean, it's obvious that, you know, we, we, for example, in the scientific community, scientists are paid by corporations, and sometimes they fudge the science or make it look a certain way, and that doesn't mean the industry is corrupt entirely or anything, but just an instance. This is you know, obvious common, you know, knowledge. Thomas Kuhn wrote about it a long time ago. Hmm. And so it's our human condition. Scientists are basically humans, first, and scientists second. And the human condition is a biased, compromised uh, condition. It's 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 a, it's a made-up eye, so to speak. So 
So at any rate, uh, the world was going and still going in that direction. Science, a more systematic approach to what we all do that is science, sophisticated with instruments and so forth, finding out facts and then, then handing it the facts over to technology and and then applying the technology in such a way as to, as to uh, with, with a view to improve upon the conventional ego, which is a problem. The conventional ego, as I'm speaking of our identity, derived from identification with our psychic and physical dimensions that's here today and gone tomorrow in due course, uh, it, it's a problem. And so we're trying to improve upon it extend the life, um, overcome disease, um, and then you, you do get some accomplishments uh, some uh, through that that will we do away with the Black Plague, you know, so faith is coming, right? So faith started to move, right, from the Christian Europe hmm, to a, to a uh, well, science was born as a Christian, <coughs> modern science. Then later it started to become agnostic, now it's in an atheistic uh, phase in its in its uh, its adulthood, its adolescence. I want to say it became agnostic, but I would say for it to live into old age and be wise and informative, it will have to become a mystic. Hmm? So that is another thing. Hmm? But the direction of the of the of the of the Western world, science and technology made a wedding, and it handed people and continues to hand people things prospects through identification with the objective world of matter, prospects that's, that make it look like this conventional ego may not be a problem. Hmm? It, 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 may, it may be solvable. Hmm? It may be salvageable. You, it may, you, 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 it may be, maybe we can, you know, I mean, in a crude sense, maybe we can freeze it, you know. <laughs> and then later on, you know, we'll have the stuff to inject in it and, and there'll be again. Uh, so this prospect, there's a lot of faith, if you will. Hmm? The material nature is, 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 in a, in a, is personified in, Hin, in Hindu text as the, the Devi, you know, the, the, which is very seductive, if you will, and constantly offering the prospect that you can have a full meal through appetizers that result only in indigestion. Hmm? Never get the square meal. So anyway, the missionary, if you will, the monastic was sent to Europe and there he was alone, you know, dressed in his pajamas, it would seem, you know, from India, the, 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 the subjugated nation that the British were trying to civilize and so forth. And at any rate, relative to my point, he had a, the opportunity to go to a, uh, an invitation to go to a, dr a theistic drama. And in the theistic drama, the actors were on the main stage and God was up in the balcony and God's role every now and then was to go, I bless you, and sometimes to go, I don't agree with that, I condemn you. You know, he had a small role, that's what I meant to say, in the whole thing. It was big in one sense, because if he said, I bless you, it was a big deal. If he said, I, I, I don't, that was a big deal too. But he only had a couple lines. And, uh, and he wasn't the main main character in a sense. He wasn't, wasn't on the main stage. He was brought in every now and then, you know, 
to weigh in on something, but the real thing that was going on was 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 the preoccupation of the, the human interaction and so forth. So after viewing the drama, he was asked, well, "What did you think of the drama?" So I thought it was very interesting. But the difference between our tradition and yours, theologically speaking, is that we put God on the main stage, and you've got him in the balcony. Hmm? It's a very different idea, hmm? and this idea is shows itself, as I say, in the very beginning of, of, the, of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna, Arjuna asked Krishna, take me on, you know, drive my chariot up between the two armies here, and let me see what, what I have to deal with. Hmm? And so Krishna drives the chariot. So Arjuna is a devotee of Krishna. Krishna is God, but he, what kind of relationship is that? Hmm? This is called Sakya. Hmm? In Sakya Rasa, hmm, in friendship, in friendship, Sometimes you serve your friend, sometimes your friend serves you. Hmm? Can you get that? Hmm? Okay, I'll get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get it this time. And, uh, uh, so this is, this is the beginning of the end, if you will, friendly love as we know it in human society, the beginning of the end of reverential love that causes, causes creates distance. Hmm? If I was to say to you, I've used this before, if I was to say to you, I'm God, I'm not. If I was, and you believed me, you might say, oh my God. And then you might like move back a little bit and think, oh my God. So it creates some distance. Hmm? So that's a valid spiritual reality. Hmm? You know, you, you have the, in, in Europe, in, West, in Europe, Western culture, you have this, well, to use the Christian idea uh, of, of God, uh, as it was thought in, 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 in Europe, you have, you know, the church is very, like, the music is very, like, reverential, and, uh, and you have the classical artists like Beethoven who wrote religious music and so forth, but it's not very, uh, it's kind of not participatory very much, and it's very, it's very kind of reverential. So there's a place for that, no doubt, reverential love of God, but it, and everybody knows that. Hmm? That means God's up there and I'm down here. But is there a po- if there is love of God, is there a possibility the full spectrum of love? Hmm? Could there be friendship with God? Should there, could there be parental love with God? Hmm? Could there be f- uh, romantic love with God? That's very risque and uh, uh, very different um, sounding. But but the idea in our particular tradition of uh, Hindu thought of Vedanta is that um, we're going up on a ladder here from from servitude to friendship to parental love to romantic love where intimacy is increased as we go up and that there is the possibility of such a um, a union with uh, with 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 divinity that constitutes intimacy. And in order for that to take place, that which is infinite has to take on a finite, like, in appearance, form. Hmm? Because if we are uh, infinitesimal, let us say, uh, I don't even think we're that, we're not even even the smallest, what to speak of the biggest, we're just, anyway, we're dependent entities. But let's say, the finite comes before the infinite, well, what it's going to feel is I'm finite. I'm standing before the infinite. I'm 
finite. And so there's going to be, you know, some distance created and, and uh, some you know, reverential type of love. But if there's to be intimacy, the infinite will have to take a finite-like appearance in order for that intimacy to take place. Hmm? So this we call some kind of like a spiritual um, divine ignorance or something like that. Hmm? Where the Godhead, by the, by the very boldness, if you will, of the approach to the Godhead on the part of the devotee, hmm, that says, you know, I don't want to know you just as somebody up on the cloud there or just in the balcony. Hmm? Don't you have a life? Hmm? I've got a life. This is the main stage down here, and, and it's full of all types of different relationships and so forth. And, and so is the Godhead just like some small part of my life? Hmm? Or, uh, and, or you know, my life ends and then I take it to heaven with me, you know? <laughs> it, it, it's all going on. My friends are there. My dog is there. My cat is there. Everything's fine, you know? And, and God's there too. And he's, and he's providing everything. It's like, okay, let's take an example of a kingdom. Let's say in, in monarchy, there's the kingdom. So everybody's living in the kingdom and everybody's happy. It's a good king, queen, everyone's happy. Hmm? You're going on with your everyday life. You, 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 there's a system where, you know, let's say you, you grow grains and give it to the, to the, you know, the tax system, you know, and, and everything's provided for you and it all works out and it's happy. Hmm? You go on with your life. This is one kind of ideal of an end of an uh, of attainment, so to speak. And God is this is a perfect kingdom, if you will. Everybody's happy. You got all your friends and relatives, and of course they're all. What age are they going to be there? That's the question, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so there you are. Now, question is, in the context of this description, what's the king doing all the time? Hmm? I mean, is he just providing? For, that's fair. Or take, you know, America. We have a president. Okay, so we have a president. President Barack Obama. Um, and, um, you know, we are all the citizens. So, I mean, we don't know the guy very well, you know. We hear things about him. People say different things. We voted for him or we didn't vote for him. We, he's the president. We don't know him. But we, we you know, ideally we follow the laws. We are a good citizen. Maybe we get the Citizen of the Year award, you know. And maybe he would even come and pin it on you in some ceremony. And still, you wouldn't know very much about him. Hmm? <laughs> You've been a perfect citizen. Things are provided for you, uh, and so forth. But obviously, he, there are there is a circle. Hmm? There is a circle in Ob Ob President Obama's life where people know him hmm? very differently than we do. And they don't call him Mr. President. You don't know what Michelle calls him, you know and what she knows about him. Hmm? So, this is the, in our tradition, this is the idea, what, why, isn't there any possibility to enter into that circle hmm? of the Godhead's life? Hmm? Is there such a circle? Or is it just like a Wizard of Oz that's, you know, <laughs> moving with, you know, things, and don't pull a curtain, you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so this is a very bold idea, hmm? if you will, hmm? like beyond reverential love. And I, I, 
and you find you know semblance of this in in in, in Sufism in, in in Rumi, for example, and you find it in some Christian traditions, and even isn't it in the the idea of the being the bride bride of Christ and this Teresa of Avila, uh, for example, you, you find hints of this in different traditions, and as I say, in the Sufi, which is kind of an Islamic and the Hindu kind of merger and in some esoteric forms of Christianity. I mean, you don't find Teresa of Avila's praying for it's a bread or something like that. Give me some bread, and I mean, God could give you much more than bread. He could, you know, that's just the thing, and you're not a thing. Hmm? Your consciousness. Hmm? What are the possibilities of being that, that arise when you identify yourself as consciousness rather than matter? And you don't need anything. You don't need anything. You're in a good position to love, hmm? right? And we know that psychologically. The worst thing to do is to try to get in a relationship when you don't feel fulfilled enough in yourself, and you're expecting that all from from someone else. Hmm? So it's a bold idea hmm? that we enter into that dimension of the Godhead's life that's private. Hmm? Can you go there? Hmm? You think, well, that sounds interesting, but I mean, even if that was it was such a private realm, why would God let you in, necessarily? Hmm? There's a very good reason. Because that's what really makes him tick. Hmm? That's what he's really about. Yeah, he provides things for people who want things. Okay, take it. You want things, take them. Hmm? Within certain parameters. Hmm? You want eternal life, you could take that too. Big deal. Hmm? People come to me for things. I hate to tell them, but they're not a thing. But they think that by getting things, they'll be better off. Oh, anyway, so I give them parameters within which to find, to gather things that if looked at carefully, hmm? that system, for example, in the, in, the, in, the, in the sacred texts of the Hindus, that system for getting things... <coughs> is secretly about something else. You see, there are these rituals that you perform. You want a good sun, you perform this ritual, face north, south, uh, coconuts and fire and this and that, and it happens. You get a good son or a good daughter or you, you get this or that. So what you get the things, and then what else do you get? You get some faith in the texts that they have. There's a way of, by conforming to the texts, I can get what I need. And then so you look at the texts more seriously. Hmm? You have faith in the texts, which is a form of revelation. And then so you, you look at it more deeply and then you realize it's talking about something else. It's saying that, that you know, rather than getting things, you're not a thing. The best things in life are not things. And you're, you're the best thing in life. Hmm? You, if there's anything in this world that most resembles God, what would it be? Well, it can't be anything. Hmm? And what I mean by things are the manifestations of matter, that, that now it's a tree, then it's a, the earth, hmm? then it's something else, right? It's, it's, it's nothing. It's just constantly in transformation. You can't get a grip on it. Hmm? God is thought to be something enduring, some, something tangible, actually. Hmm? It's funny because <laughs> people think things are tangible. Hmm? And they're really not at all. The whole objective world is, is you can't even touch it. You can't, it, it's, more, it's more consciousness-like than it is matter-like when, when I looked at it through, a, for example, a quantum lens. Hmm? 
which which even the scientific community is is some people argue very well is still resisting they still want it to be like classical and there are thing hard things out there that you can you know you can you can touch and, and so forth so it takes time it takes time to change hmm? to, for the paradigm to, to to change because people are attached because it works on a certain level it works means it provides things on a certain level and the prospect that I can become that the eye conventional eye as I said can be salvaged and it, and so forth so this bold idea let me enter the private life of God hmm. does God have a private life so it's an interesting idea and then we find there are texts that talk about that hmm. so first he finds I approach God for things this is like a very childish approach like children say I want this, I want that, I want, I want. That's what they do. I want, in an early stage, I want, I want. That's how they relate to the, to the parent. Hmm? So it's very one-sided, right? It's very childish. Um, but by approaching the acquisition of those things through the system, you, 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 you develop this faith in the text and I'm talking about the earlier forms of revelation on the East, the Upanishad, and the, and the Western Christian uh, form of revelation, which, of course, obviously they have some correspondence because they are genuine forms of revelation. It's, if, there's only the interpretations of them that put them at odds with, with one another. If you look deeply, we find common ground, and you can ask Fred and his beautiful wife here about that and read their book. Um, <laughs> about the uh, you know, different faiths interacting and finding common ground and so forth. Um, Saffron Cross is the name, right? <laughs> so it, it, from, from a, a, an orientation towards God for, as an order supplier, if you will, you send in and he, you know, he supplies, to the idea that, well, I, why shall I pursue things? I'm not a thing. I'm consciousness. I'm subjective. I'm not objective. I'm not part of matter. I'm... Consciousness. I'm experiential in nature. Matter is not experiential. It doesn't experience itself. Hmm? Some people think, well, consciousness emerges from matter. Hmm? That's like saying that experiential reality emerges from non-experiential reality. Experience can, an experiencing reality cannot be found in a non-experiencing reality. I mean, that's just pretty simple hmm? math if you will. Hmm? And all examples, of course, that was given in the scientific and philosophical community um, of consciousness emerging from matter, hmm? examples in nature, they all carry with them the fact that something, that, it, that, that which emerged, something about it was present in that which it emerged from. Hmm? In some form, it was already there, in other words, and came out. But experience and non-experience are as different as black and white. So it's not a very good um, argument. It's a materialistic argument. We could give a lot of reasons why those arguments have um, um, sway amongst... uh, amongst, um, a number, good number of people, but in our tradition, we have a more of a common sense and humanly intuitive idea that is not contrary to any scientific 
finding about factual finding about the laws of nature and so forth, and it posits the idea that consciousness is is independent of um, of 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 matter, and we are constituted of it. Hmm? And so we give meaning to matter. It doesn't matter otherwise. Um, and when we turn on the show of matter and animate it, we get caught up in it, identified with it, and lost to our real prospect in life. So to let go of the things, hmm? Hmm? this is what yoga is about. It's a system, a spiritual life, is to separate ourselves. Hmm? It's the experiment based on the conjecture. Hmm? There's a difference between consciousness and matter, and now I'll begin to separate myself from matter and show or demonstrate for myself that I exist independently of matter and and happier and more full. Hmm? This is the beginning. This is what we call detachment then. So in a yoga system or any spiritual system, as I said, that is ego-effacing, that's dissecting this, deconstructing this, this ahankar, this made-up identity, based on I think things are mine and so forth. You start to let go of things, right? Hmm? And um, and then you you see it's challenging, but you see if you if you feel more full or if you, or if you feel more empty, and then we can find a yogi sitting in a cave, who's pretty full. Hmm? He's content right there. Hmm? You think well, he doesn't even have a bed, you know, to speak of, you know, where he will get his next meal, or anything. he's content. So it, it, I'm just using an extreme exa- extreme example, but it it. Obviously, he's embodied, his body will die, hmm? but for all intents and purposes, as we know it in ordinary life, he's living independent of many of the things that we couldn't poss- think we could not possibly live without. Yoga is showing you could live without these things, and you could live better. How much better? Hmm? He cares about nothing except everyone else's plight. How full is that? You understand? Hmm? He or she, that yogi, yogin, cares about nothing for herself, but only for the sorrow and the plight of others. How full is that person? Hmm? And and what is that based on? Experiencing himself as consciousness rather than matter. That he could have such, that his capacity to love could grow and expand so far and so wise to include all animation. Hmm? Hmm? It's an incredible idea. Hmm? And of course you say, well, he has to die too, you know. Yeah, well, you know, you can unscrew the light bulb, but it doesn't mean electricity has gone away either. Hmm? Yes, that's a fact. Hmm? Uh, The body, biological life, that's what comes and goes. But we're saying life is not biological. That's not what it is. We're trying to try to find it biologically. You, you, you know, it's, they can't find it biologically, right? You can talk about evolution and how it morphs and and so on and so forth. But what it is, hmm, that's another thing. And our position is it's not biological. We have a biological organism that we are identified with, that we've somehow animated, if you will, hmm, or brought into being, hmm, magically, no doubt. Hmm? Magically, in one sense, it is magical. Hmm? People say, oh, you know, 
he's a believer God, you talk about magic, I believe in, you know, science, facts. Uh, you believe in magic only. Hmm? But the idea, if I said to you, this floor can actually talk and feel, this floor potentially can feel and say, ouch, you'd think I was crazy, right? Hmm? That's what it means to say that the brain, which is made up of the same thing that the floor is made up of, just configured differently, but the same stuff. There's no different ingredient there. Hmm? Just arranged differently. You just turn a floor into a brain. Hmm? And it happens. I said it's constantly in flux, material nature. Floors turn into brains. Hmm? Hmm? And suddenly now the brain is feeling. Let's say the floor is feeling. People say you're crazy. That's magical thinking. Hmm? This is what the naturalist believes, is this his or her faith. We don't believe that. <laughs> but we do believe that, uh, that, that we do believe in magic in another sense. We believe that, 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 that uh, there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. We're a unit of that more. Hmm? That's why we feel in human society we could, do, we could do anything. We have that, you know, animals know their limits, they know their boundaries. <laughs> We don't. We think we could do anything because the self is not really confined by matter and it's coming to the fore in human life. It's starting to experience itself, self-awareness hmm? of human life. Hmm? What is my prospect? We try to pursue it by flying in the sky with airplanes and going to the bottom of the ocean to find airplanes that fell in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But the yoga idea, the spiritual idea, is that that pursuit that you're all about can be perfected by going in a different way. Rather than going out and acquiring, hmm, which fosters this false identity, going within hmm, and finding you're not a thing, you're consciousness. So the beginning of this, hmm, moving closer to God, if you will, than just God being the order supplier who gives us things. I mean, how boring is that to God? Okay, you're not a thing and you want things. And that's just going to make you think you're a thing. But, you, you know, you're, you're an independent, you know, I give you some will, so... Okay, do it like this, at least. Do it like this. And as a result of doing it like this, gradually you may change. You, you get some material fulfillment and think these sacred texts work in this way. And then you, you hear something else in there. You become interested in another section that you weren't interested in previously because it wasn't about getting things. It's about giving up things, and that was just not, you know, something that you were interested in doing. Hmm? So you start to give up hmm? this detachment. Hmm? It's a wise idea, a little painful, but it, but it, what it is really is the detachment is the first step hmm? in getting closer to people. Hmm? You have to step back, as I said in the beginning, from the world to understand it. Then you can, and that properly understood, you can interact with it without any uh, negative repercussions. Hmm? So, if we move from asking God for things to approaching God to know, rather than to acquire and own, to know, to have knowledge, I'm not things. I'm a unit of knowing, I'm self-luminous, and so on and so forth. 
this is good, but now we want to move further. Hmm? Further, I said we want to get closer to God. You would think that, okay, not asking for things, instead pursuing an eternal existence, hmm? that's about the limit of what you might ask for, but we're talking, as I said earlier, something more, to enter into the private life of God. Why, if he had a private life, why would, why would he let us in? Because that's what he's really about. Hmm? You're interested in me. Hmm? If you're interested in me for things, if you're interested in me for my knowledge, hmm, I'll give you, but I'll remain a little aloof. But if you're interested in me for what I'm about, isn't that what love is? What are you about? You know, you sit and you meet with friends or whatever, acquaintances, and they say, they start talking about what they're about, you know, and this and that, and, they, and you think you're watching them, you know. They never ask what you're doing. <laughs> it happens sometimes, you know. You never even ask what I was doing. Okay, well, anyway. So, right? but when they ask, you feel, oh, he cares about me. And, and I, and she, and so, what, what this Hare Krishna chant is about, asking to know what you're about, hmm? What, like, turns you on? It's an odd way of saying it, but what makes you tick? What's your, you know, what's... And, and can I get I into that realm? He must have come in. Nobody cares. Come in. Yes, this is, this is, this is very powerful. So why would you think that the audacious kind of ambition to enter into the private life of God would be accepted? This is why. Hmm? Hmm? People like other people to be interested in what they're about. That's what makes for loving intimacy and so forth. So this is what is going on in the Gita. Hmm? And, the, and it begins, of course, I, 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 we're talking about two things. We started talking about detachment being, the what I'm saying is the first step in love, stepping back so you can see things for what they are and then not get rid of them but enter into them. The context of that, we said, Krishna asked Arjuna to bring the chariot up between the two armies, and he said, these are the two armies, this is what you have to fight against. And I stopped the chariot right here in front of Bhishma and Drona, who was his guru and his grandfather, who he was very attached to, and they were on the other side. And Arjuna realized, I have to kill my attachments, that's what he's talking about. Holy cow. Hmm. That is uh, like... I could have killed a lot of people. I'm a warrior, you know, for a good cause. But to kill my attachments, my whole identity as a warrior is going to come apart. He, he realized the, the, the task that I'm being is being placed before me is to dismantle my conventional ego entirely. Hmm? It's it's a it's a nonviolent affair, but. <laughs> It's because it's it's not it's not uh, violence to anyone else. It's 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 destroying the false notions that you have that are that produce the violence that we the meanness that we have towards others. Because the false sense of self is one in need, and therefore you have to take in order to maintain it. So we all have to be exploiting on some level, taking on some level, just to preserve this sense of identity. We can't be a full giver lover in the full sense. Hmm? So the killing of the false ego, which is season, um, hunting season is open all, you know, all year round and you don't need a license. Uh, 
Well, you, you need some guidance, perhaps, for how to do that. But to kill that is to is to kill the killing tendency within us, to die to that taking tendency within us. And this is the beginning of, of loving, hmm? because to stop taking, well, that has something to do with giving. Now we go further for giving hmm? and giving ourselves to God in terms of, well, what are you about and how might I, you know, facilitate, uh, be a participant in that life, that very bold, audacious kind of aspiration to which the doors of heaven, excuse me, if you will, will open. Hmm? And this is the idea of Krishna. And he's driving the chariot of Arjuna, and that prospect is before him hmm? to have an intimate relationship with, with, with Krishna. But there's a prerequisite in the context of pursuing that. First, you have to get rid of some baggage, attachments, and so on and so forth. And so as we... It's a formidable kind of task, but in bhakti... It's not the task that itself is the end. It's l- loving involves giving up that which is not uh, pleasing to the one I love, something like that. Hmm? When we do things that are not in our interest, that's not very uh, pleasing to our source. Hmm? Hmm? So, to, so our renunciation, our detachment, if you will... Hmm? Is is a, is a kind of the first step in loving, hmm? because we, because of our present preoccupation, we're taking. We step back. We see, oh, what I am. I'm not matter. I'm consciousness. Then I can step back into the world and work from that vantage point to realize that and to stop being a uh, a taker. Hmm? So while renunciation or detachment sounds formidable and a little uh, scary, we do it in the context of deconstructing the false eye in the context of constructing, if you will, for lack of a better word, a a real eye, an eye which means plumbing the depths of the consciousness that we're constituted of, what possibilities lie there. If I make an identity out of matter... That's like making a castle out of sand. Hmm? Okay, on the beach. <laughs> right? But if I, there's, there's also the possibility, it would seem, that I could make a castle, an identity, let's say, hmm, out of consciousness, because it's consciousness that makes the sand castle. Hmm? Right? The forms and shapes of the world, there's consciousness behind it. What's behind this house? Hmm? Consciousness, right? So consciousness investing itself in matter causes matter to take shapes and forms and appearances of such, at least, uh, to our mortal uh, vision. Hmm? So why not consciousness reposed on itself, exploring its possibilities, its potentials in relation to its source, cannot result in shapes, forms that are consciousness-constituted, that are all centered hmm, on the actual center and therefore cause no conflict with one another. Hmm? Our present forms are off-center and they're in conflict with one another and it's problematic. So this makes for a world, if you will, of spiritual interaction and the possibility of love. So in the cause, hmm, the effect, there's a relationship. Here we're pursuing love. Hmm? 
right? So there must be love in the cause. Hmm? Not just uh, not just knowledge. Hmm? If I understand I'm a taker because I've made up this I and it has needs, therefore I'm taking and exploiting, I should stop that. Therefore I should detach, I should go give up all whatever, live in a hollow of a tree and so forth. Uh, and that will be my perfection, then I will be kind of, I, I use the term, I will, exi- I, would, I will love to exist in that sense. That existence will be enduring, it won't be troublesome. Hmm? It detached, the, the ego de- deconstructed. But it's one thing to love to exist, and it's another thing to exist to love. Hmm? Is what we're talking about. Is there a possibility of existing to love? Or should we just love to exist in an enduring way where there's nobody else to fight with? So I'm okay. Hmm? Do away with all individuality, all differentiation. Hmm? which are problems, the differentiation coming from the fact that people are centered differently in the world of their own minds and at odds with one another, and all that, do away with everybody. Hmm. One note, om, only. Hmm. What about many notes? We call that harmony. That's a little more pleasing. Hmm. Many notes, but they're all working together. This is the idea of Gaudiya Vedanta. And the detachment that is a formidable task in Gaudiya Vaishnavism becomes very easy comparatively to a path that ends only in knowledge and detachment is the end result. Detachment being the corollary of, of knowing, of knowledge. Detachment from things that are here today and gone tomorrow in pursuit of enduring life and happiness. Hmm? That's a difficult uh, path and the result, the attainment is arguably not as as, as satisfying or as compelling even to motivate us to engage in the task of the deconstruction of the ego which itself is is formidable here the task is that task is secondary to establishing in this uh, this this very audacious idea of entering into the private life of godhead the idea that there's possibility of forms and shapes and differentiation within consciousness in a world a consciousness world where consciousness co- consciousness is the subject and the object, hmm? rather than matter is the object and consciousness is the subject, and which is which is problematic because they don't they don't gel they don't mix together. It's like trying to mix apples and and uh, cauliflowers. They don't, they don't they don't go together that well. Hmm? Um, so this is very inviting and it's very human like. Hmm? Also, it means like I said the effect. Uh, is comes from the cause. So the, what's in the what's in the effect must be in the cause. So, very human friendly. The idea of, of of being able to express the whole range of human emotions in 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 love in such a way that they can become uh, fulfilling because they they're now expressed in relation to things that well can't reciprocate fully in kind. So it's problematic. I gave myself. Huh? And giving is the receiving, but I kind of like gave myself, and I'm wondering if I got anything because I gave myself sincerely, but my knowledge was incomplete, and that, that object to which I reposed my giving hmm, was not the center hmm, of existence. So I could not get the reciprocation that giving 
really amounts to. So you have to have these two things in place. You have to give without motivation, and you have to give where it can be taken, hmm? accepted. The stomach can accept all the food hmm? and distribute it everywhere throughout the body in a way that no other part of the body can. Hmm? Though we talk about Christian, we're talking about the stomach. Give everything there. Hmm? Then, then that means the ideal of human society is to love. And we're different from the lower species of life or less complex species of life, not because we can think, although that is one difference, more clearly, or that we have a self-identity, we have an increased intelligence, but because we, we're different, because we can love, we can do volu- voluntarily, we can do things. We're not as, as oppressed by material nature with uh, material needs. I need to eat. I need to, we can say, you go first. No, you, 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 you take. Yeah, something like that. We can do this in human life. This is voluntary action. This is this is love. Hmm? So to hone that. Hmm? And if our spiritual teaching is well, you know, love is false. Love knows no reason. Be reasonable. Be wise. Things are here today and gone tomorrow. You're trying to find love in relation to things. There is no love. Hmm? Or love amounts to not taking. We call it love. Don't take. I don't know. That's not a... It, don't take. Don't exploit. Sit still. Don't take. Any. Mm. I mean, that would be a big thing in one sense because everybody's taking. But is it the full measure of, of loving mm. that we really pursue what makes the, the world go round? Mm. So we're saying that, that which makes the world go round when the world being the effect is found in the cause. Hmm? And that's what we mean by Krishna. If you understand it, probably that, mean, that makes makes it that all that all possible. Hmm? You follow? That was your question. Yeah, I follow. I think the people I'm talking about, they accept it from you, but they'll never accept it from me. <laughs> Tell them, bring them to meet me. <laughs> it's a mouthful and an earful and heartful, but uh, yeah, you try to explain. You know, it's simple. In, 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 in one sense, I mean, it's simple. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask, would you? What? Which is better? Which is better, to love to exist, or to exist to love? I mean, everybody will say, to exist to love is better than to love to exist. Everybody will agree. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's what you think is better, then you have to have a philosophy that allows you to do that. Hmm? Otherwise, you go against what your own common sense and in- intuitive sensibilities um, uh, speak to you about. Hmm? So, your philosophy is one that it's only eternal existence. I'm existing, I'm alone, there's one. All individuality is done away with. Um, just awareness, I'm a pulsating awareness. I mean, that's pretty different than our present existence. Uh, we're unaware, we're unconscious about a lot of things, so it's kind of like a full, it's not even called knowledge, but it's just like Brahman, I'm talking about this idea of some schools of thought. All individuality is false, hmm? and you go within the self and you you realize that you are just, reality is this pulsating existence and the world just as ephemeral doesn't really exist, it's only an appearance. And you just, so this is, then you would love to exist in this condition compared to your present state. 
which you're trying to love, there's all kind of problems with it. All the problems are done away with. Hmm? There's no more demands upon you from anything. You just sit peacefully, blissfully, and love to exist. But if you first preface hmm, just talking about that ideal hmm, with the question, which is better, hmm, to exist to love or to love to exist, everyone will say, well, to exist to love is better. So we need a philosophy Hmm? A theology that affords us that opportunity. Hmm? You yourself, by saying, "Yes, better to love to exi- better to exist to love," then, then you have to throw that other philosophy out because hmm? it doesn't agree with what you intuitively feel. Don't overthink it now. Hmm? So I'm asking, don't overthink it. Just what do you say naturally? I think it's better to love to exist to love. You need a philosophy then. That means there has to be a God. Hmm? You understand? There has to be a significant other. You think about it. Self-love, okay. Atma, consciousness. It exists. It's self-luminous. Hmm? It means it's, it's, it's a unit of knowledge, I mean by that, self-luminous. It doesn't transform. It's into, into, it exists, sat, chit, and ananda. What does ananda mean? Such it another means it exists, existing, knowing, loving, being, knowing, loving. I'm a unit of being, knowing, loving. That's not a stretch to say that, hmm? because I be, you know, I exist, and I seek to know, and I seek to love, and I I, I do those things to some extent. That's what I do, and I'm consciousness. I, I my my identity is really subjective, right? Hmm. I can't prove it objectively. It's my private inner, you know, sense of self. What it does is it exists. It it knows. It's cognitive in, in, in comparison to the objective world of matter, and it and it, and it loves. Hmm? That's what it does. Hmm? So for so for, for someone to say, I went within the self and I realized what was it like. I realized I was being, knowing, and loving. Well, what else would you expect it would be? Hmm? That's how consciousness functions in, the, in this world. Hmm? Do you understand? So, anyway, now, with regard to the loving, hmm? well, what do I mean by that? I mean that we don't, I've said it before, we don't love things. We only love things because we're in them. Hmm? Because we've identified with them. Because it's my country, I love it. So what do I love? I love myself. Hmm? You see? Because it's my house, I love it. Because it's my car, it's a problem if it ran out of gas. If it's yours, it's not a problem. Oh, your car ran out of gas. Well, I hope you get some. <laughs> you know. Now, if you've identified with that person as your daughter, for example, then it becomes a problem for you too. See, the consciousness has the power to project itself into things, identify with the things by a very small word that has very big implications. The word is my. Two letters. My, my, my house, my car, my husband, my wife, my country, my body, my mind. And this my, as I said, is making for an I. An I is formed by that. It's a very small word, very huge problem. But the implication of what I'm talking about is that what we love is the self. 
The self projects itself into things and the things then become lovable because you're in there. Hmm? You see, conscious matter doesn't have any capacity to love or reciprocate. So you really, in one sense, reciprocating with yourself in a, in a crude sense, materially, and and the, the self is a unit, is, the, is an object of love here. Everyone loves themselves. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it in the past. Everyone loves themselves. Themselves being not the conventional ego. They love that too. That's a problem. But the, 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 the inner self is a unit of love. It's an object of love. Matter has no capacity to love. Hmm? So we really love ourself. This is called Atmananda. Hmm? Joy of the self. Now, that's pretty good. Okay. Now I've, I've, I've understood I'm a unit of love. I'm trying to love and be loved, but I've realized I am a unit of love. Instead of trying to get love, I found that I am a unit of love. Wow, that's pretty fulfilling. Hmm? I'm trying to be, and I found out nothing can kill me. Hmm? I can't die. Hmm? If you knew the extent to which you existed, all fear would end for you in life. We don't know. We can know theoretically in good company, but to know practically, hmm? it's a huge thing. It'll end all fear, all anxiety. Know the extent to which you exist. Hmm? We exist, we know, we love, but now, loving the self. Okay, if the Atma, the self, the unit of consciousness is a, is a unit of loving capacity, for it to realize its full potential as a unit of loving capacity, it stands to reason that, it, it, that if it could be in relation to another, hmm, its capacity to love would be enhanced. After all, love really is evaluated on a scale of reciproca reciprocation. Hmm? The more there's reciprocation with another, hmm? and, the, and the two are becoming one, you and I become we, hmm? in a d dynamic union, the more there is love is said to be there. So we left the world of matter, realizing nothing matters here. I matter. Hmm? I'm consciousness. There's no love in the in the world. It's it's empty. Hmm? So I separate myself from that. I, I can love as a unit of consciousness. But now in the consciousness world, is there a significant other that I could relate with? Hmm? This is called bhakti ananda. Then hmm? this is this means now you have the possibility of of live of existing, not loving to exist, but existing to love. So you you know it's you can ask it's you try to ask common sense things. I mean I'm teaching anything here that people don't already agree with. In many, I mean everybody said, nodded their head. Yes, it's better to love to exist, but better to exist to love than to love to exist. You have to have a philosophy that corresponds with what you actually feel and think and and, and how you conduct your everyday life. Hmm? And if your philosophy is that oh. Everything is one. There's no differentiation. There's one pulsating awareness. You are that. And the perfection of life is just to be that awareness. Awareness of what? I mean, it's not even awareness of anything. It's just awareness. There's no obje object to be aware of. It's a very abstract concept. It only sounds good because the conventional sense of self is so bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really, it's a, it's a total es escapism. Mm -hmm. i got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. It, it, philosophically, people come to, I gotta get out. This is a problem. I real, I've heard, I understood my problems are all coming from this, 
false identification and just it's a big relief I want to get, get away from it all hmm? but it really doesn't resonate with how you actually feel it's a co- total compromise hmm? so you need a philosophy that affords you the capacity to to exist for the purpose of loving to love to love this not to just stop giving stop excuse me not to just stop taking that's part of love but it's not the whole face of love for that you need a significant consciousness other that's what we mean by krishna hmm? your source to some kind of union and interaction with the source and we depict it in art and and music and thought and and, and those are like based on a true story it's based on a true story there's more to it but it's based on a true story something like that those are the I like those kind of movies <laughs> based on a true story <laughs> so Anyway, it's nice to uh, to think about all these things with you, and, and you know some of these things are, you know, you're questioning, thinking, and I see you trying to follow my logic, and so and it helps me to articulate it better, or to and it gives me sometimes thoughts I never had before, and so it's, I'm very much appreciative of the opportunity to uh, sit with you. What's the time before you launch into more questions here? You want to make a comment? Please do. Well, not a comment, but, but just to have maybe you, you expand just a little bit on that um, idea of not being a taker, but as having a human form, even if we're spiritualists, we still have needs. And so it seems that there's we're always going to be in a position of having to take, even if we don't want to take, just because we have to keep this form alive for service. And it, can you maybe say something? Yoga Jamam Bahami Aham, Krishna says. You, you, you have a sadhaka day, means a practitioner's body. So what you're saying is, well, I have a practitioner's body, I'm pursuing spiritual life and the ideals that you're talking about, but it's kind of like partly material and partly spiritual. It's how you use it. So you have to use it completely spiritually. And then all its so-called material... Uh, necessities will be met. Hmm? That's how you spiritualize the sadhakadeha. That it be that why it becomes perfected and worshipable. Therefore, you take the, the form of the guru, the, the perfected siddha. You put her in a in a in a sacred place. That place is like a you know like a tomb. You worship. It's a worshipable place. Whereas ordinarily in Hinduism, there's cremation, hmm? cremation. But for the sadhu. We don't have creation because the sadhaka day of the practitioner's body has been perfected. And so there's no taking involved in that, you see. You can be completely Krishna-centered in all of your human activities. Fully, every interaction with your, of your senses that the body's made up of with sense objects can be for a different purpose than a self-centered purpose. can be for a God-centered, Krishna-centered purpose. And Krishna, really, as the deity, real, more than any other uh, manifestation of divinity that I'm a, a, a familiar with, uh, lends itself to that. Hmm? I said, "Brudge," it means all things harmonized, all things possible. So, 
with in how it plays out in the sadhaka's life, the practitioner's life is, you can shop for Krishna, for example. I mean, I think I go, I go shopping thing. You can shop. I mean, how can that be spiritual? Yeah. But you could do it. Hmm? You know, you have that the, the deity form of Krishna. You you know you know gonna buy some incense, buy a silk cloth, make it into a nice shawl, and put that and this way. These things. This is a science, if you will, or a methodology. Hmm? by which all of our human activities, even our psychological just needs, even our need for recreation, hmm? uh, what to speak of our needs for eating, for sleeping, even our needs for mating, all these things can all be spiritualized. Hmm? That's why I say you step back only to enter into the world. And, and, and he said, Yoga Chema Bahamiya might take care of my people. That's why Krishna is always surrounded by cows. I said, cows are givers. They just take grass, so, and they give milk. And from milk, you can make so many things: butter, yogurt, ghee, all types of things. Very nourishing, hmm? right? We're in a cow, cow house here. That's what you do for a living, right? Take care of cows, <laughs> and that sells raw milk. Hmm? Family here, so. And they're very poor, but they're very happy. <laughs> and you don't need much to things to be happy. But uh, but the artistry of this and so forth, when we see Krishna with the cows, the is cows. The, the 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 idea is cows need grass to eat, and grass grows even in the concrete. Hmm? So you don't need much, but they give. What they give is is very um, considerable, comparatively. So they are givers, and in India, of course, the cow properly Hinduism, all everything of the cow is used. Hmm? The, the 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 even the, the cow dung has antiseptic qualities, and they build houses out of it, and so you can, you can make a really nice plaster inside, and and and, and bugs will stay out. Hmm? And I, a friend that had did that, made a really nice, very beautiful. Hmm? Um, cow dung plaster. You know, you wouldn't think of doing that with another animal. It's a very special animal. Really, it is. And I saw a documentary some years back that that, that seriously questioned hmm, whether humans domesticated the cows or the cows domesticated the humans. Hmm? And it, it, it is. Actually, the domestication of animals, of the principle of which domesticated the animals is the cow, hmm? um, Marks the change, the, the, the shift between hunting and gathering, and agriculture, hmm? which means you know you got to use your head a little bit more for agriculture than you do for you know, your your body for catching something. You got to use your head a little bit, I guess, too. But um, and of course, it's more sustainable. You could kill an animal, you know, a cow, and eat it, or you could keep it over the winter and you could. Plow the field, the bull and the cow could provide milk. You could grow grains and have a stock for a couple of years, or uh, you know longer. So agriculture, in one sense, is the beginning of civilization, and it's, it's brought about by this interaction, happy interaction between certain animals that have the capacity to be capacity to be, to be domesticated, and in the context of doing so, supply things. For human society that are useful, so there, 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 there is this, you know. There's this in between. There's, there's the, there's the wild animal, then there's the human, and there's this. You can't domesticate a fox in the way that you can a cow, 
And if you could, you know, I mean, you wouldn't get much from the guy. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, so this, this, this idea has been um, kind of the depths of that have been plumbed in the Hindu texts, and this is why the, the cow becomes worshipable. And it, 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 from the ghee, if you take milk, you turn it into butter, you turn the butter into ghee, which is like butter oil, then they use that to make in all the sacrifices that are performed. So it's a religious kind of fuel, if you will, and it's symbolic of putting yourself in the, in the, in the fire, so to speak. And so the cow, anyway, a giver. And Krishna's depicted always with the cows. And, but the question comes as if I'm only giving, who will take care of me? And that is why Krishna's called Gopal. Gopal means who take care of the cows. It's, I will take care of you. If you only give, hmm, I will take care of you. Hmm. The, don't don't worry, but we worry, <laughs> we doubt. So gradually, gradually, with good company, could go in the direction of letting go and being a giver. You had a question too. What's the time? Two thirty. What time do we start? One. So I think if I, I have to give a very short answer. I think maybe maybe we should stop. You all have other more important things to do. What's the question? <laughs> I've got time, I can tell you that. My world perspective from the time I became a devotee over the last three, four decades has been based on um, the idea that the world is suffering, which is the basis of many religious thought. Yeah, very Buddhist. Very Buddhist. <laughs> you know, that was like Dukkalayama Shashvatam. It was really drilled in. And uh -huh. that was like a focal point. Um, mm -hmm. Now, as I've suffered over the decades, more and more, I've become uh, aware not just of suffering, but of the intelligence of suffering. And so I, my worldview modified a little bit from just this is a place of suffering to this is a place of intelligence. You know, the reason why the suffering is coming is very intelligent. And then in the last few years, as the suffering kind of like went way over the top, <laughs> I started thinking, actually... You look pretty happy now. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's not... I was thinking it's not really a place of suffering. The world is a love affair because uh, it, we're giving an opportunity to to practice loving God here. And the suffering is an impetus for me to keep turning toward that. It's like I can't get anything else. So the suffering pushes and it pushes and it pushes like that. So, um, and then I thought, well, so I was thinking like this, and I've even been speaking to devotees recently about this. You know, yes, there's suffering in the world, but actually this, it's a love affair. God created this for, for us to express love and his expression of love. And then I was remembering how when Brahma wanted to create the world, Krishna came and he gave him the mantra, Om Krishnaya Govindaya Gopijana Vallabhaya. So if these are the syllables, that Brahma used to create the universe, what love was used to create the world. Um, 
And then, so I had that esoteric thought, and then you just kind of like blew the lid off of that top last night by saying, you know, it could be, you know, Radha's Ma Bob creating an earthquake. Is it fair to say that the world is um, a manifestation of a love affair? And, um, you know, do you have, where did you get that? Lokabhattu lilakaivalyam. That's a short answer. Lokavatu lilakaivalyam from the sutras. Mm-hmm. That the lokavat, the world, lokavatu lilakaivalyam is lila, play. It means the world is manifest for no reason. God has no necessity. Mm-hmm. One who has no necessity mm-hmm. but moves anyway, what is the movement that arises in one who has no necessity? In other words, if I have a necessity, I have to move to make it happen, to, to acquire it. Hmm? We move because we sense we have needs. If we have no needs, one could argue, you could sit still hmm? and not go anywhere. But there's another kind of movement that arrives out of the fullness of sitting, which is that you celebrate how full you are. Hmm? You, you, you just, I'm so happy that, that, it, that so Leela meets, it's a kind of movement of Brahman, hmm? Not out of necessity of, 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 of lacking, but out of fullness. Hmm? And so, this is why the world is manifest, hmm? according to the sutras. Hmm? Uh, so, yes, manifest out of, um, out, of, out, of, out of love. And then the problem, you know, I mean, there, there are different perspectives. So you say the world is uh, suffering, that's a particular perspective. Hmm? And as you progress to the perspective will change. First it's a battle, there's somebody out there, there's Satan and there's you, and there's Maya and she's working against you. And so forth. then you realize it's, you're working against yourself here. It's just a question of an angle of vision. Therefore Vishwanath Chakrati Thak says, Vishvam Purnam Sukhayate. I see the world as an abode of happiness. Hmm? And then some other, in the same, same school you might Sometimes speak of another way. Oh, it's a, it's a full of suffering. It's, it's a, you need both sides and both angles of vision. But when you come to the perfection, then you won't see it as a world of suffering. Hmm? That's a that's a perspective, and it does provide negative impetus. Otherwise, the other part of your question, which you didn't quite voice, but you wanted to, is where did I get that idea? Yeah, that's uh, there in um, the descriptions of. Mahabhav, Maranaki Mahabhav, maybe in the Priti Sandarbha, but in his book, um, in his book, uh, Religion and Philosophy of Sri Chaitanya, Dr. Kapoor, you can read about it there. He's giving an English kind of rendering of that. There you go. Okay. Short answer. Could have gone along on that one, but let us. <laughs> Let's stop there, and uh, I think there's some lunch for everybody. And again, I thank everybody for the opportunity to sit with you and speak, and hope to see you all again somewhere soon. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.